This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Remember, your experience is going to be different from your partner's. And that when you mirror back to them, it doesn't mean you're saying you're absolutely right. That is the truth. That is what happened. I'm wrong. I'm bad. All that. That's important. You're not rolling over. You're not rolling over, but you're saying, I believe you, that that's what your experience feels like. I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Thank you for joining me for another podcast episode. Today, we are talking about eight tips to help you fight fair. I'm joined by my husband, Greg, who is going to help us have this important conversation. I want to emphasize that learning how to disagree is important because here is a truth that we must accept. You and the person you love and care about, you are two different people. You are inevitably going to view things at some point in your relationship differently. And different doesn't mean bad. Instead, it means that we need to call on some tools to help us navigate those differences. All right, let's go into today's episode. We started talking downstairs about how the title of this podcast is a little bit of an oxymoron, Fighting Fair. You stole my line. (laughs) It is an oxymoron, isn't it? Don't you think? A little bit. When are fights ever fair? Whatever the context is. Whatever the context. But they should be fair because I think that is maybe even what mistakes we have in terms of what we learned growing up. Like I think of our drive today that we did with the kids and how they were just nattering at each other yesterday. Or sorry, today. Felt like yesterday, yeah. Felt like yesterday. Like we're trying to teach them how to actually do this, to be fair and respectful to each other when they're getting on each other's nerves, when they're fighting, when they have a difference of opinions. So why are fair and respectful the same? Why does it have to be both? Why are fair and respectful the same? Why does it have to be both? Why can't it be respectful yet not fair? Inevitably, take the kids, for example. One is in the other's space, in their face, right? It's A, not fair, and B, not being respectful. But if we could teach... The respect. The respect that that one child to bring it back. It still doesn't mean it's fair. 
Mm. Anyways, I'm curious why you think fighting needs to be fair or why this. So should we have titled this podcast Fighting Respectfully? Maybe. All right. But no, flush it out. You came to this topic based well, on obviously something. So what, what led you to, to that thought? Yeah, I think fairness in a way is, is this idea of we each get to have a space in the conversation. We each get to have our own thoughts and feelings. It doesn't mean that we have an agreement on it. And I think you and I had talked about this earlier, the sense of like fairness, or even we're talking about differentiation and interdependence. It doesn't mean agreement. Okay. I think I'm perceiving fair as like... An equal. Oh, an you're, equal. you're the, thinking equal. You know the scales of justice where it's like got to be balanced? Right. I'm thinking that as fair. Where you're coming to from a frame of fair, like... We each have our voice, wants, needs, feelings, whatever. Ooh, I like that. Doesn't mean they're equal. Right. It's like oh. almost like a fairness of access to, oh, to having so That's really interesting. So you come to the word fair as an equal, as in like the scales 100%. of what's, it's what's equal. And you and I talk about this a lot, actually, in terms of our own upbringing, in terms of our parents and how we even want to be with our kids or even you and I having our own experiences in our relationship and that idea of fairness, right? I've told you many times my mom always wanted to be fair, fair. with my sister and I. So I perceive that two kids, it's 50-50. It's equal. It's equal. Yes. And I wonder if a lot of men in hetero relationships, mm. so fair play is, you know, in the mental loads become a big topic. Yes. And part of the challenge for women is to explain that concept to their partner. So I almost wonder, it's a very lace perspective, is almost, well, fair has a very valid meaning. I wonder to, to some of the partners who are receiving this information, that it almost, not as misleading, but requires an extra layer of explanation. Because it's not equal. Mm. It's fair. It's like a fairness of access versus, or maybe that's just me, and you can scrap everything I just said. But you're bringing up a, an interesting point, and this is the piece that is at the core of my book. I'm going to plug it here, so I didn't sign up for this. is officially out. It was dropped on September 12th, so it's out. It's in the bookstores. Go and grab it. The reviews have just been phenomenal. It has been so cool to see people join this journey with me. But the book, the core of it is that to have a healthy relationship, we do need to depend on each other. We need to be co-creating our worlds together. We don't want to swing it from independence to codependency. We want to build interdependence, which is those two parts. And part of that interdependence piece is building differentiation. I know you and I are going to talk more about this. And what's important though in differentiation is that. There's this ongoing ability for me to see that I'm separate, my own thoughts and feelings and how I communicate them with you. You have your own thoughts and feelings. We have to continue to see that. So it's really interesting. Even as we start this, it's like, wow, you and I have different experiences of what it means to say fair. Totally. And so then for people who are listening, if you don't, if you decide to stop here within the first few minutes, cool. But go ask your partner, what does it mean to be fair in your relationship as a way to start to understand how they interpret it? Because you and I here are showing up with a different understanding of it. Yeah, totally. 
Ooh, this is really cool. Okay, we're talking about fighting fair today. What do you think about the word fighting? I think there's a spectrum. Yeah. Fighting, to me, seems on the more, I don't, extreme, maybe is the wrong word, but Mm -hmm. on the more serious end versus disagreement, argument, right? Fighting feels like I've been fighting with my partner for months. Right. I had a a disagreement or an argument with my partner, which was a very short-term thing. It's funny, though, because if if we think of how we speak in the development of a relationship, it's like, are we in a fight? Are we fighting right now? We don't say, are we in a disagreement? I don't know if you and I have ever said no, that to that's each other. True. Um, yeah. But yeah, I know some people are uncomfortable with it. And so when we're talking about fighting here, we are talking about those disagreements that show up between people. We're not talking about physical fights. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be very clear about that. Right. So, okay. Is that where the uncomfortable piece comes from? For people? Yeah. I believe so. I believe that they think of fights like you know, of fist fights and these explosive fights, slamming, punching, hitting versus the like, you know, when we get into a fight, we're having a disagreement. We're struggling to get on the same page of something. We're heated in the moment. Today, we're talking about eight practices that we want when it comes to fighting fair. So we're going to talk about these eight pieces and then We also have some really cool questions to cover that I think are going to really make these eight pieces come to life and really put fighting fair into practice in your relationship. So let's start with number one, sticking to one issue. And you and I actually just had this conversation around how relationships can snowball over time if we're not able to work through our conflicts. And then it's like, Everything gets thrown in at the drop of the hat. The 11th hour, yeah. At the 11th hour. Because you're finally doing the thing. Because probably you're not differentiated enough, so you're not having expressing yourself in an ongoing way. So then you get into this fight, and it dumps, Boom. and it's all the shit. Blah. Yeah, right. It's like, okay, so we're doing this. All right. Well, remember the other day when da da da, da I'm just going to like go into it. Yeah. Why not just throw it? And, and that makes it really hard because what ends up happening then inevitably is we get overwhelmed. And when we get overwhelmed, we become dysregulated. And that is that sense of, we could talk about it in lots of different ways. It's you're outside of your window of tolerance. You are um your body is overstimulated it's like you're you're no longer in that calm state you're in a fight or flight or freeze mode Mm -hmm. and when we get to that space it makes it really hard to even be able to understand what the other person is saying makes it hard to even empathize with the other person it's hard to listen makes it oh yeah that's good right Right. i mean what stood out to me too my practical brain what you notice is it that it waters down the actual message or the what you're trying to communicate. Yes. So it really undermines the whole, air quotes, fight. Right. Or waters down what you're trying to communicate to your partner. Yeah, it loses the message and then it stops you from being able to find the resolution because now it's like I'm trying to follow the trail of, well, hang on, we were A and then B and so am I addressing C and D or am I going back to A? But now I'm like, hey, what about STW? I'm bringing all the points in. Mm -hmm. And you just snowball. Yeah. 
I know that this is a, this is a hard one. I, I know this comes up even for you and I, like to stick to one issue. So hard. Right? Yeah, kids, time, like, oh yeah, limited time. All of it, right? Gotta get it out. Gotta get it out. And, and then the, the other piece there, so then w- what would you say to someone? Because you, 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 I'm just gonna ask you that. Oh, I so, beat you to the question. Yeah. Well, you're the pro. Give me, give me some advice. How you're my the... pro defender. Right. So when I come to you and I bring up the one issue, and you and I have talked about this before, and it's actually one of my top hitting posts on Instagram is when I come to you and say, can you help me with the dishes? And I didn't say that you weren't good enough, right? Because that then brings in the other issues. And it's like, whoa, hang on. Are we talking about you not being good enough? Or are we talking about doing the dishes? And now which one is taking priority here? For those listening, what's important here is you in your mind, knowing what it is that you're trying to work through. So if your partner is going off to the other space, and I've talked about this before, this is shame. Um, When shame shows up, we don't want to spiral into it. And we also want to acknowledge that our partners are feeling it. And if that's the case, acknowledge what, what your partner is doing. And that can be something simple like, wow, this is really hard for you to hear right now. We're going to focus on this topic right now. And if we need to go to that topic, let's do that later. But we're going to stay here right now. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom, and instead, my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using Loop Engage to help dampen the sound around me, and these Loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable, and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code Loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's shrink, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. 
Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality but the best part is that if you're worried about commitment enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10-year warranty on all of your purchases head over to cozyearth.com and use promo code shrink for an exclusive 35 percent off and give the luxury she deserves with cozy earth Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's zocdoccom slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. Okay, number two, give the most generous interpretation. That's a hard one when we are stuck in a negative cycle. Yeah. In the heat of the moment, that's really hard. That takes it takes some practice and preparation almost. Yeah, we are really good at building narratives in our mind around our partners, especially when we're stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, and especially when we feel resentment towards them, which means that we're not getting our needs met or we're not expressing our needs. So we can easily spiral into these narratives of the confirmation bias or negative filtering. And these unhelpful thinking patterns like to stick to us. They're really sticky. They stick to us like Velcro versus those positive and generous interpretations are going to slide off, right? The good times. And I've shared this in the community before. I can remember one time wiping the kitchen walls thinking, Greg never helps out. That is not a generous interpretation at all. That is me with a confirmation bias, seeing that you hadn't wiped the walls in the kitchen. And, you know, I think when I could step out of that and being able to say, and you made the lunches and you made dinner and you washed the dishes, that it's much easier to see the whole picture. So I would also think in that, in that vein too, when you have one or both partners who, I'll go back to this again, aren't practicing that ongoing differentiation and expressing themselves, it's so easy to just 
typecast and build the narrative of your partner. Particularly, like if you're m- more anxious and avoidant, the partner who's not like that is just has kind of got them pegged, and just this bias kind of keeps showing up. Tell me more. So, if if you're not communicating your wants and needs as it goes, mm. your partner isn't exposed to what's going on for you. You're internal, so it's really easy for them to sit over there and just project. Maybe that's a strong word, but project kind of what what's happening for you onto you even if it's not totally the case so i guess all i'm saying is that would make it almost harder for that partner to give the generous interpretation because they don't know what's going on for you mm. you're not like, putting them in so they're kind of their bias or their perception just kind of gets reinforced and and they're so they're less likely to give you that generous interpretation Right. And so when we come back to that piece again, so that interdependence, needing the differentiation. So we're using two really big words here. And so, again, acknowledging I have my own thoughts, feelings, opinions, desires, wishes and values. You have your own. And neither one of us are right or wrong. We're allowed to have our own experiences. They're also not truths, though. And that's the sticky thing about thoughts is that when thoughts spiral inside of us, they can easily feel like that's the real thing of what's happening. And so we then have to, in order to give the most generous interpretation, we then have to be willing to sit in this tension between us where I'm going to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Yeah. So when we think of even some examples then, right? So when the one person says, I'm angry that you're never home on time. So a generous interpretation, if that's what your partner is saying to you, would sound like they like when I'm home and they need me home. But more of the negative interpretation would be like, why don't they understand how hard my job is? Why can't they understand me? Another example is your partner says to you, I'm stressed. I spend money online and it's so hard to stop. So that negative interpretation would be like, oh my God, you're so irresponsible. Why can't you manage money, et cetera. But a generous interpretation would be what's causing stress for you right now. I want to listen to your experience and understand it so we can find a solution together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are good examples. All right, point number three for fighting fair, avoid bringing up the past. Expand on this one because from my perspective, that's really hard to do. Mm So is there an agreement that it's like this very specific? It's kind of like point one. You're sticking to one issue. Mm-hmm. Right? So let's use something like the socks are on the floor. Or I've asked you, not you, but I'm saying the figure like you as in one. I've asked you so many times to pick up your towel. So we're talking to you about the towel issue right now. But then I start to say, so it's not just I'm not sticking to one point but i'm talking about all of the times in our history so the towel is a little bit of a perhaps maybe a smaller issue but then let's think of even boundaries with family members and so with holidays coming up you say we haven't talked about this we need to have this conversation and i'm feeling really upset that you have not shared our wishes and needs with your family then what what starts to come into that disagreement is, yes, well, in 2012 and the Christmas at your mother's, right? So you're you're just pulling it all in. And the way I understand it is when we're addressing issues in the here and now, we need to stay in the here and now. And sometimes people find it really helpful to say to each other and make this agreement between you and your partner, draw a line in the sand. You have had really hard experiences 
we can't go back to those now. And now we have to say, let's solve this issue. There's a bit of a both end though. And the way I understand this is if there is something that's happened in your relationship, we're not talking about the number of times socks are left on the floor. We're talking about other moments. And the analogy I like to use is it's like every time you get to a fight, a book falls from the bookshelf and it falls open to exactly that page, that one time where you didn't da 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 da. For, for in some ways, we can understand this like an attachment injury. And that injury that's happened comes up repeatedly over and over again. And it stops us then from being able to move forward in feeling secure and connected. So then what we need to do is we need to spend time hanging out with ourselves and understanding what's really happening here. What's going on inside of me that every time we're planning family Christmas or family holidays or Thanksgiving, that I'm bringing up 2012 holidays. What do I feel about that time? And then do I maybe need to go do some work around that? Do I need to do some grieving work? Is there a loss in there? Do I need to plan a specific time where we get to sit down and say, this? I I want to share this event with you. What I need from you is to listen and to understand so that we get to move forward from this. What would you say to the partner or to the person whose partner keeps bringing up the past and won't let it go? Because I, I would imagine that would be a lot of people like, yeah, that sounds really good. But like, I'm having this discussion with my partner and they just keep reverting back to the, to the past. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we move forward in, in that case? They won't let it go. Mm-hmm. So if I were in that position, then I would say, I see that something significant has happened. And I've noticed that you bring it up repeatedly, which tells me that there's something in there that I don't understand. And I want to be able to understand that. So we can map it out and heal it and move forward. What does healing look like? I think sometimes I think we make healing really complex. What healing looks like is being able to almost funnel into our experiences, our bodily sensations, our thoughts and memories that come up with something, and then the emotions that are attached to it. And when we can get down to that core emotion, these really, I do this exercise inside Be Connected. It's one of my favorite guides in there where you can go down into the core of that feeling. And that feeling is often something like sad, pain, hurt, loss, scared, uncertain. And then we go in there, we ask ourselves, or you can ask your partner, what do you need? What do you need to help that feeling? And then hopefully you can find a way to give it in some way. That might be empowering to them to give them them the way to move forward. I think so. It, It is a really empowering exercise. And remembering, though, that if you're asking your partner to share this with you, your job as the listener is not to come in and say, it's the past. I didn't know better. I was doing my best back then. Instead, it's just to be a witness to it. That's why therapy is incredibly healing in a way. You're having this connection with another person and I'm witnessing my clients' experience and I'm saying to them, I'm validating that. I see you. Yeah. This is so hard. That's interesting because if you're going to go back to the partner who's always bringing up the past and you're going to go through this process of working through it, you have to be able to sit and listen maybe in some of that tension of what comes back at you because you may not like it. Right. But if you're going to help them process it and then be able to move forward together, you have to be willing to do that. 
And that's hard. Sure. That's really hard. It might be about you. About you. That might be negative. But the thing, though, and I, and I see this in the couples that I work with, is that it comes back over and over and over again. The more you problem solve, the more you deflect, the more you say you just need to move on, the more it sticks mm-hmm. versus shifting into that deeply empathetic, validating position, which I know is uncomfortable, super hard. Next, mirror back what they experience. Mm. Tell us about mirroring. This is interesting because you and I just got into a sticking point recently about a piece in our business, and I was expressing a frustration to you. And then you brought in your own concerns and feelings about it. And I had said, I'm telling you, I'm frustrated. I just need you to tell me that you see my frustration. Yeah. Yeah. So, so where was that advice? we're evolving so mirroring is a really great strategy to let your partner know that you hear them and you understand what is happening and i've i've we we used to do this before i would say to you just tell me that you see that i'm sad and you're like so you just want me to say yeah i I see you're sad i'm like yes say it is this a joke no say that i I see you're sad and you and you're like okay I see you're sad. I'm like, oh, thank you. Finally, you see that I'm sad. So, you know, and I think sometimes in our relationships, we make it a lot more complicated than it needs to be. And and also to this piece around mirroring, it's it's slowing it down. It's letting your partner know you see them. And then it's avoiding the rush into problem solving and fixing. As soon as you said that, the piece that stood out was just about slowing it down. Just Giving your partner space to breathe. Yeah, you need space. Not literally breathe, breathe, but emotionally breathe. Emotionally breathe. Yeah. So just, I think for this one, because I know it's so hard to mirror back. And again, this is the piece around what it looks like to build an interdependent relationship, which is this like being willing to sit in your own tension. And it is, and from like a male's perspective too, it's, it feels a little getchy. Oh, I see that. Like it's, it takes a lot of skill and like self-confidence. Like I think a lot of, a lot of dudes would be like, I'm not saying that shit, you know, but how do we, how do we get past that? Well, okay. So now we're opening a whole other conversation and I'm listening to Man Enough by Justin Baldoni. And the experience, though, that boys have growing up, like why, why are we as <laughs> girls so early on learning how to do this and that we can do it in our friend circle <laughs> as, as women, Yeah. but then men are really struggling to show up this way. Yeah, I'm just kind of providing a uh, perspective from... No, no, I, I appreciate that. But I think also, too, I think it's changing. When but, I when I listen to you talking with other dads. It's true. It is. Yeah. The stigma is gone. Yeah, it's shifting. Yeah. It's, not, it's not completely gone. Yeah. I, I know it's shifting, though. I mean, you, you know, I'm into dirt bikes and different things. And I even listened to a podcast recently where there's a high-level pro rider talking about 
therapy and things really? like this. And it's so normalized. And the host is like, shout out to Gypsy Tales, um, talking about mindfulness and like how important it is. And like, so like, here's this really like theoretically like backwards sport where these elite athletes are talking about this kind of stuff. So to me, that was like kind of crystallized that, okay, it is different now. It's so different. Yeah. I remember when you and I first started dating uh, and watching golf and talking about like Tiger Woods. Is he in therapy? Is he doing? And <laughs> not be the best example. Right. Well, we won't go down that hole then. But if but, he was, he would have had thirty majors by now. But yeah, yeah, right. But but you and I back in that time in '07 talking about, and I mean, think of how far we've come in in those 15 16 years it's wild so i think the other thing too around mirroring i just wanted to make sure that this point is said here is that remember your experience is going to be different from your partners and that when you mirror back to them it doesn't mean you're saying you're absolutely right that is the truth that is what mm. happened i'm wrong i'm bad yeah. all that that's important you're not rolling over. In you're not rolling over, but you're saying, I believe you, that that's what your experience feels like. Don't you think that just feels good, though, when someone says that to you? Mm -hmm. I believe you. I believe that that sucked in that <laughs> moment. Yeah. We say it a lot to our kids. I know we right? do. To help them. We should afford the same to a partner. What did you say about Rini and Sean's podcast? Um, this was around problem solving. Where you had listened to Sean and you're like, it was me. You remember around how he said he jumped into problem solving really quickly and he just wanted to fix the negative feeling that Rainey would be having. Yeah. I mean, I just think I related to it because that's, you know, that's exactly what I did and continue to do, but did drastically in a relationship. Yeah. That was, that's been something we've really worked on. Yeah. And, and that's shifted. I can't remember specifically what I said, but I think it's probably something sarcastic. But... No, yeah. You, you had connected to their, their yeah. dynamic, how yeah. it was similar to ours. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just really pop because like, oh shit, that's me. And how he was like, as soon as I see her upset, I like just want to fix it. Okay. Five, speak with kindness like you would a dear friend. So this is interesting. So when I polled my community, more than 80% of people said that they had more empathy for their children and their struggles compared to having empathy. With their partners yeah that's not surprising to me you're also comparing adults and children so i, I don't know yeah so you know and i recently saw a comment on one of my posts that had said you're a grown adult pull it together yeah. oh it was about like when your partner's in a bad mood yeah, that's kind of my point and, and someone had said you're you're an adult pull it together <sighs> and that that goes back to dismissing the real connection that we get in our relationship by saying, you're having a hard time. Mm -hmm. I totally get that. Yeah. It kind of comes back to number two, the generous interpretation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You offer that to your friends far more easy, right. far easier than your partner. Right. Right. So being able to view your partner with that kindness, I, I really like challenging people in this perspective of how would you say this to a friend how would you say this to a boss and then yeah. being able to bring that home and and do that with each other 
just kind of softening and neat and like language choices. Right. right. So I think this one too, when, when I had pulled my community around having empathy for our children versus our partners, I think this also reminds us about our expectations. We expect our partner not to have a hard time. We expect our partner just to figure it out that you're an adult. Get it together. Buddy. Get it together. Right. And you know, we still all get to struggle. How many times have you and I said to our kids, like, ah, oh, it's not what you were expecting. <laughs> yeah. It, it is, it's That's just, true. you know, there, <laughs> you had put, um, the cooler bag in the basement the other day when you got home and left the ice pack in it. This morning I went to kick it <laughs> after it had been sitting in the basement for a few days. <laughs> Cause all I could see was the, the like fridge bag. And it stands upright and it looks empty. So I kicked it being like, oh, he left in the middle of the floor and the cooler pack was in it. So I stubbed my toe. Lucky and breaking. I'm lucky. And I said, that's not what I was expecting on all accounts. What else did you say? <laughs> Why can't he close the task? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. Guilty. Okay. That's the next one. Um, avoid comparing. <laughs> <laughs> you are two separate people with separate needs. Gosh, I can remember many of our really postpartum days around the argument about being tired. I'm so tired. And then you'd be like, oh, yeah, I was up last night. I'm like, you're tired? Let me tell me how many times I've been up. Yeah, I, I think a lot of young parents can probably relate to this. Yeah. Comparing with each other often comes from a place of not being understood. And so then we start to one up each other because what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the other person to understand our reality. And so the antidote to that is to be able to bring in empathy and to understand what your partner's experience is. And that can come by asking more questions. So if they're saying, I'm tired, okay, tell me about that. Like what's happening for you? And then also being able to share your own experience. So I think it is about remembering that. When things come up in your relationship, it often isn't from a malicious place. The intention is not to hurt you, and it can still be hurtful. I think that's important. Okay, learn to pause and take a break. We were just talking about this. We were just talking about this in the car. It's a hard one. Do you think I struggle with that more, or do you struggle with that more? Uh, I don't know. I think I struggle with it more. I think what I was trying to, we were talking about in the car, was like, this is one of those things that sounds easy to do and almost is like a default strategy for everything. I'll breathe, take a break. And I think my question to you is along the lines of something like, but how, like, how do you do that? What does that mean? Like it, at first it almost, it can feel almost a bit minimizing, dis dismissive. dismissive right? yeah, yeah. You just need to pause. It's patronizing almost. Like, mm. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Tips. Pause, take a breath. That kind of, right? Yeah, yeah it, it totally does. But I know there's merit to it because we've talked about it in terms of like our arguments. So there's value to it, but like how do you communicate it and how do you teach people to do it without it sounding silly, mm. for lack of a better term? Mm -hmm. You are trying to give your mind and body more time. And you want to be able to recognize what's happening inside of you. I had, I had said to you earlier, like when you pause, you can start to do a little, I, I almost envision like this like body scan where it's like, okay, yeah. ooh, clenched jaw. 
I'm breathing really fast. I'm shaking my leg, right? And those are all signs that our body is feeling overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. that we're dysregulated. Is there like a phrase that people can come up with? Or like, I think we've talked about that in the past. Like, is there a phrase you can come up that can like buy yourself a bit more time? Yes. Like, that's a good. So phrases or movement can be really good. So a phrase could be something like, this isn't about me. A phrase could be like, I I can take a breath. So those sound like mantras to yourself, or is there something you can say to your partner that's just like, I need a minute? Yeah, saying I need a minute is just a totally good one to start with. Um, you could also say to your partner, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I need to pause. And so the pushback of that from people, and I remember I had this in my masterclass, is well, my partner doesn't let me pause. Right. And so I had said, so in those moments when your partner doesn't let you pause, you use your body, you put your hand up and you say, I need to pause. And then if they still don't, then you leave the room. You say, I'm pausing. I have to take a break. I will be back. I need to go take a break. And so my hand is up right now saying, stop, stop, stop. Because you have to. Yeah. Otherwise, what ends up happening is you get railroaded. And that makes it even worse. And then when we go back to the first point you and I had made around um, sticking to one point, you're not. You're off the rails. You're <laughs> off the rails. And I think what's really important for the partner who does the rail, the kind of, I want to say this in a very gentle way because I know what this feels like. And the person who does more of the upping the ante, who can't stop, who pushes, it comes from a really hurt place, a place of never feeling seen and understood as a kid, that they have to up the ante and be so loud and big. So you'll just finally hear me and understand that this is so important. Like, I know that's where it comes from. And so that person really has to understand that it's working against them by doing it that way. And they have to slow down. Mm-hmm. And even so when I talk in sessions or as I'm talking with you right now, I'm even using my voice to slow myself down because that is a message then to my body of breathe, go slow. Right. And I don't know if you know this, but as I'm doing it with you, you like started to lean in a little bit more. You slowed your breath. (laughs) You're mirroring me. I brought up the part at the beginning because I want to, I want this to speak to some of the partners who might not be the information seekers. Like maybe it's a lot of a lot of women in your community, right? They're going to be the proactive ones. You know, maybe some of the messages get to the partners who are more the reactive ones, or you know, who might roll their eyes at the breathe. Yeah, I get it. And what's the end goal? The end goal is you want to be connected. The end goal is to feel intimate and close. And by taking that pause, whatever that looks like for you, it will bring you closer in the end. I know. Yeah. yeah no, I appreciate Just trying to get that. I'm always thinking of the barriers to some of this stuff. Maybe it's from a male standpoint. So what would you say to one of your fellow men who struggle to pause? The spiral in this. Hey man, it's just not worth it. Like, oh. or is it working the way you're doing it? 
Mm, that's I'm a big one. Is it working the way you're doing it? Right. Right. Like, uh, try this. Like, I always try to come to it from like a really pragmatic kind of like results oriented phase. Like, like to do it the most efficiently. Like, hey man, like the way you're doing it, it's not not working. So try this. Yeah. That sounds silly, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're doing the same thing over and over again with the same result, yeah. it's time to try something different. Mm-hmm. And when I kind of tip into my therapy hat, the way I like to ask it is, so this is the easy road, and the only thing you get out of doing what's familiar and repeated is that it's easy. Yeah. But what if you try something different? Yeah. I think I, in the back of my mind, too, there's like that talked about this before there's that ego piece mm. right. mm-hmm. yeah we have talked about that one that's right. in our assertiveness and defensiveness part. Yeah. that was a good conversation okay so this brings us to our last piece which i think lands nicely from you bringing up the ego which is it's not about winning it's okay to disagree and see things differently that's a hard one though don't you think yeah i think what we had talked about earlier was we probably grew up things being like very binary when you lose maybe right or wrong yeah differences aren't celebrated mm-hmm. fair or unfair mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it becomes kind of the default position gotta win yes wrapping a little ego what a cocktail right right <laughs> but dis- disagreeing and seeing things differently it has nothing to do with your worthiness or your lovability or your enoughness and if that's what if that's what's driving behind your arguments, then we need to do a little bit more work mm-hmm. underneath that. And if you're finding yourself saying, "Well, I can't lose this argument," or "I need to be seen as right," maybe we need to kind of step into letting that go and asking yourself, like, "What would it mean about you if you were seen as right?" And mm-hmm. then start giving that to yourself, so it doesn't have to keep showing up in your relationship. The other thought I had around winning is like, what's the definition of winning? Mm. Like, is it your partner agreeing with you? Is it coming to a solution that works best for your family? Mm-hmm. Or is it coming, agreeing to come back to it? Like, what is winning? Like, right. Again, is it binary? So maybe if winning is important, maybe it's reframing what that looks like to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, before we wrap up, we got some questions from the community that kind of tie into the the eight things. So we'll pick your brain for some expertise, Dr. Tracy. <laughs> uh, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but what do you do when the other person doesn't want to fight fair? They want to continue the conversation and they bring up things up from the past, yelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if in the moment conversations that you're having, if you are trying to implement some of these principles that we've talked about, these eight different things, and that's not working, it calls to have a conversation about the conversation. So that's meta-communication. So sitting at the table and being able to say, I've noticed that we get into these fights and X, Y, and Z happens between us. And of course, when you're having that conversation to avoid blaming the other person that they're doing it and framing it in like a, we're getting stuck in our fights. This isn't working for us. And then ask them, well, at first we could back up even a little bit more of like, what did you learn about fighting, watching your parents? What happened for you in those difficult moments? And then 
being able to say, how do we want to move forward in this because it's not working? Can we, from our values, like what's important to us in our relationship, can we make those agreements moving forward? Because otherwise, we're just going to keep having the same fight. We're not getting anywhere. That's good. The meta communication. The meta communication, and and it's it's the like. It's true, it makes sense. Like you're you're like okay, let's do a heart to heart conversation. This isn't working for us anymore. We can't. No, we're not going to talk about the in laws. No, we're not going to talk about the mental load right now. We're talking about the way that we fight, and we've got to like bring in respect for each other. Mm-hmm. Okay. On to the next one. This is interesting because I wonder if people think about this. How can we not argue when something is seriously affecting our Insert important topic, kids, finances, home, family. If I don't win, there'll be serious consequences. Mm. So I think someone in this example, someone's thinking like, maybe there's a health concern or a financial concern. Like I have to influence my partner. I have to win this argument because it's literally serious consequences. Of course. So there are non-negotiables, things like children's safety. And when it comes to that, it is a, this is about safety and we need to be on the same page, not because I want to be right, but it's because of the health of our kids and it has to come from that place. And then making that agreement of how you're going to move forward together. But then when we think of maybe even some other things that we're not talking about safety of kids, but we're talking about finances, spending, whatever that is. So I think that we have to come back into trying to understand, like build more understanding and curiosity around what, what's the reason behind what this person is doing? What's happening for them? What is so hard about this? What are the pros of what they're doing? What are the cons of what they're doing? Mm -hmm. And then you have to switch turns to then understand what's happening for you and why it's so hard for you. And then I really like how the Gottmans do this in their compromise work, which is what's the core need that you're not able to compromise here. You really have to come down to what's the core need. And then outside of that, if we think of the bagel, um, the outside, so not the donut hole, that's the core need, the bagel hole, but the actual bagel part, there's all these areas that you can compromise on something. You've got to find a way to have that conversation. Okay. If we pause an argument to cool down or give space, how do we return to it? And this is what next part's important. What if what if I'm the only one ever initiating the return? Mm, I'm I sure that's relatable that. to me. Yeah, I hear this one a lot. What do you think? Does it matter who goes back to initiate it as long as somebody initiates it? I think I t- I think it's a both end for me. I tend to overall think it shouldn't really matter but i can also see from the perspective of the partner if they're the only one ever doing it Mm -hmm. i'm not sure how to square those two but it's almost like we need to build an acceptance for something that we don't like okay so here's the thing if your partner doesn't have the skills or tools to do this then you have to understand that you already have those skills and tools to go forward with it And that doesn't feel good. So we have to then sit in accepting this hard feeling. It doesn't mean it's something to like. 
It doesn't mean it's okay. It means it is what it is in the dynamic of your relationship. And that sometimes our partners don't have that skill. You know, what's been really cool about this community is I've been on Instagram for five years now. We've been podcasting since 2019, so four years. And it's been so cool to see how people grow and change over time. So I get a lot of DMs and also from members um, inside Be Connected. They send me messages saying, okay, so I've been doing this repair piece for a year now. And I'm so glad you taught it to me. It's been fantastic. And for the first time, my husband came to me and initiated the repair. Yeah. And so it is that willingness to say, I don't like this and I'm choosing us and I'm going to be the one to initiate it. So then how do we return back to it? You could also make an agreement with your partner. I'm thinking of of the masterclass. The repair masterclass really does go through step-by-step for that. Just um, if people are looking for more resources, but you and your partner could come up with an agreement of how are we going to come back to each other? Again, having a dinner table conversation and saying, we get into these fights. They're really uncomfortable. We take time and space away from each other. What feels good for you for me to come back? Is it that you want me to give you a hug? Is it that you want me to cuddle you in bed that night? Okay. How do I help them see that their choice or opinion is affecting me if I don't bring up similar instances from the past? It just feels like the issue will never change. So I think this is around the idea of not bringing up the past. Mm. We often bring up the past because we feel like we need to add more weight to our argument. Mm. We need to justify it. If you really saw that this is something that's happened repeatedly and so many times, you really saw the pattern of it, then it makes it real for me. And I think that this is more about what's happening within ourselves. And bringing something up here in this moment, this time that it's happened, is valid. You don't need to go into all of these past examples to make your feelings real this time. Your feelings are real in this moment. What you're experiencing matters. You don't need to bring up the past. This is uh, a little bit more weight to this one. Mm. How do I know when our arguing is, air quotes, normal? And when it's leading to a separation or time to get out of the relationship, I guess that'd be like an and or. Right. So that separation and time to get out of the relationship, we need to find our non-negotiables. Our non-negotiables are around physical abuse, sexual abuse, and, and extreme emotional abuse, which looks like somebody continuously telling you that you are always the problem and it's always your fault and someone who is twisting your words around. And we're not talking about that one big fight that happened on that Thursday night with all the stressors going on in your life. But this is the repeated things that are increasingly happening in your relationship. We can think of it in terms of upping in frequency and intensity and nothing is changing. And your partner has no intention to change and is resistant to doing anything different. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And probably to a lot of listeners, that probably sounds obvious. But I think maybe what this question is trying to get at is like some of the more nuanced ones. Like, is there a pattern that you see? Is there something... Like, is it an increased intensity that tends to lead couples to separate? That's kind of reading between the lines. I think the answer that any psychologist would give is it depends. I knew you were going to say it's case dependent. But but it does. It depends. And and because the people, you, you know, I think what's really important for me to say is it's never for me to be able to tell someone 
that they have to leave their relationship unless for the clear reasons that I've already stated. And I've worked with people who have come to me at the brink of wanting to separate and then they don't. And I don't, sometimes for many of those people, I don't have the privilege to be able to continue working with them because they've decided to stop coming to therapy. So I don't really know what happens. Maybe I bump into them on the street, right? Like it's, I don't know. So it's, it's so hard for any one person to say, but I can come back to the, how do I know when our arguing is normal? It's normal to get into tense, difficult moments. It's normal to have those times where you're so frustrated and maybe you slam the door a little bit harder than what you would. And it's normal to be irritated and angry and to say heated words. What's really important, though, is that you come back to repairing and that you learn to do it quicker over time. And that's important. Nobody is perfect. You're going to get into disagreements. That's good. Would you add anything to that? What's normal? Yeah, I, I think from like a lay perspective, you look for like frequency, intensity tuning into your own like thought patterns like are you thinking about leaving does that happen more frequently i don't know this is this part is i feel truly the experts like yourself need to take the reins it's tricky so just thinking about where we've been today then let's wrap up fighting is hard and i think even what was neat for us to start with today was even illuminating the difference in terms of how you and I understood the word fair, totally. which is a great demonstration of what commonly happens between partners is that you could be working towards the same goal, but you are viewing something completely different. Yeah. And our job is to try to understand that. I get more concerned when couples come to my office saying they've stopped fighting or they never fight. Because if that is happening in a relationship and someone is abandoning themselves or giving up their own needs and wishes, and again, I just said this, but fighting is not a bad thing, but you need to be able to come back to repair it. Fighting has to be about behaviors, not the denigration of you as a person person and an attacking of your character. It's one thing to repeatedly say, this is so frustrating. We're not finding solutions to this. Why is this happening? Right? In the heat of the moment stuff. But to then belittle someone, put them down, that doesn't work. I step into a personal level. So between you and I, I think of our own learning to fight fairly has been a journey. And this is really something I illuminate. In my book, I didn't sign up for this. And what I'm what I hope people take away from the book is acknowledging that despite having all of the skills and tools and being able to sit in front of couples as that objective outsider with the training of evidence-based interventions to help them. All the things. All the things. I'm still human. And you and I have still had to work through our own patterns and cycles. And so I think it's really important that everybody understands that no one is immune to hitting hard moments in their relationships. And what we need to instead learn is not only about how to fight fairly, but also to understand what's happening within ourselves. 
and then how we also can learn to regulate ourselves in those hard moments. So if you're not regulated, the first thing you need to be able to do is to step back. I think of Peter and Corinne, who I talk about in the book. Peter was so shut down when they came to therapy that he would come to these conversations with one word, which was I'm frustrated, frustrated, frustrated. And this would, because of him shutting down so much, it would leave Corinne feeling alone and she would end up pressing and pressing and pressing. And so that was their negative cycle that they would get stuck in. And that's the fight that they kept having over and over again. I think of Lydia and Sam in the book as well, where they were both deeply looking for connection, but Sam struggled to set boundaries with his mom. And these were really triggering old wounds for Lydia. Um, so much so that they were on the edge of divorce and they had to do a lot of work to be able to have hard conversations. The book is here, Greg. It is now. I know. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's pretty cool to see. It's, and it's pretty cool to read hear from regular people who had a chance to read it so far and get some feedback. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Even the part about us. Even the part about us. Yeah. I know. The vulnerability that has gone into it has been a lot. Well, I think that's, I think it's actually really important. Um, the book's about stories, which I think compared to a lot of other self-help books, which might be a bit more prescriptive, is a, obviously I'm super biased, but I think it's a, an easier way for people to learn, an easier way to digest information. And I think you showing up authentically with a bit of our story or a good chunk of our story. Um, you know, I think we're all craving some more authenticity in this digital world we live in. We are. Do you have any last points to wrap up? Uh, no, I think you, I think you got it all. I mean, I will come back to the piece about differentiation really sticks with me. Maybe that's my own stuff, but, um, this piece that's really ongoing, you know, the ongoing expression of your own needs, desires, and wishes is really key. And if you want to fight fairly, one of the best ways to do that is to kind of practice this. And it takes practice because then your partner's going to kind of know where you're at and you'll be able to have like higher level of conversations and fights and it won't feel like a fight. Mm. You know, you won't have these explosions because, you know, they're perceiving a certain thing and, you know, you, but that takes, that takes a lot of work. A lot of work and practice. Yeah. And getting to know yourself in that way. Greg, thank you for joining us today. And thank you for everyone for listening. If you haven't yet, I would love to hear from you. One of the best things you can do to support the podcast is to leave a review or to click the stars, or there's an arrow at the top of the screen where you can click subscribe. By doing any of these three things, it lets others know that you are enjoying the podcast and so that they can find it as well. All of the links of the resources we've talked about today are in the show notes. I would be so grateful if you joined us on this journey and grabbed the book. It's sold anywhere where you buy books. Easiest way is to go to your website. Yes, drtracyd.com forward slash book. And there's a bunch of purchase options there. Yes, all kinds of different options there. So, all right. Take good care of you. We'll see you next week. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. See you next week.
What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in. Fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.